Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. Listen for what God is saying. But nobody knows when that day or hour will come, not the heavenly angels and not the Son. Only the Father knows. As it was in the time of Noah, so it will be in the, at the coming of the human one. In those days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. They didn't know what was happening until the flood came and swept them all away. The coming of the human one will be like that. At that time, there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, stay alert. You don't know what day the Lord is coming. But you understand that if the head of the house knew at what time the thief would come, he would keep alert and wouldn't allow the thief to break into his house. Therefore, you also should be prepared, because the human one will come at the time you don't know. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Good day, UVC. I'm Thomas. Good seeing you guys here. Talk about nerves. Oh, my God. All right. Well, this is the first time, of course, I've had the opportunity to bring a word here at UVC. And so um, with no other further ado, let's go ahead and see if we can get this thing started. Shall we bow our heads for prayer, please? God of our forefathers, God of our ancestors, God of our yesterdays and a God of today. I come to you today as humbly as I can. Thank you, Lord, for the day's journey. Now, as I start and at this preaching hour that is now at hand, I ask you to send your angels of grace and of mercy to flank me as I give a word today. Touch my words and make them yours. Give the people of God a word from God. We are hungry, so fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Hide me behind the old rugged cross, and when folk look at me, let them get a glimpse of you. Only you can do it, so do it right now, and I will be so carefully to give your name the praise, the honor, and the glory that you so richly deserve. I ask it all in the only name that matters. In Jesus' name I pray that all that love God say amen. All right. Well, we're going to start, actually starting a new sermon series here at UVC, and it's uh, Do You See What I See? And it is, of course, in conjunction with Advent. So today, my subject will be, Do You See What the Angels See? Beloved, I don't know about you, but I'm a sucker for great movie mystery. From the shock and awe of seeing how the story develops, to the surprising element that each revelation brings. Things that I had no idea would happen, happens all the time. 
these revelations always keep me on edge, anticipating what is going to happen next. One movie I recall as my favorite movie, mystery movie is the movie Seven. Seven has been said to be one of the greatest mystery movies ever made. Now, the gist of the story is that there is a serial killer that is on the loose, and he keeps giving these clues as to the killing spree based on these seven deadly sins that are at the root of all evil. Those sins are pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. Now, in the movie, Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman were charged to finding this ruthless killer before he strikes again and strikes his next victim, based on this infamous and immoral list. Now, for those of you who haven't seen the movie or have forgotten this movie, I won't give the rest of the movie away. Just know that this genre of movie, it revolves around the anticipation and suspense. The aim of the thriller is to keep you, the audience, alert and on the edge of your seat, eager to see what's next and what's to come next. Now, life is not unlike that mystery and not unlike a thriller that unfolds right in front of our eyes daily. We not only watch these scenes unfold right in front of our eyes, we often play the starring role, co-star, and sometimes stunt double of this real-life movie. We constantly seem caught between the anticipation and the promise of what is to come and the suspense of what will be, or will it ever come to pass? It seems sometimes virtually impossible to reconcile the two. This fact I do know is that God is and has a way that is not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And God's thoughts are exclusive to him. And on this first day of Advent and the World Age Day, God is still in the business of setting up events to transform the world and change the status quo of unjust systems and usurp the power dynamics in an attempt to provide an abundance and equilibrium for all. So what I'm trying to say to you is that God's grand reveal is always greater than what we imagined. For God is an ever unfolding mystery. And in this passage, the text speaks to the depth of just how unpredictable God is. So I ask you to come along with me as I explore what the text is trying to reveal to us about the coming of Jesus through the different lenses and imagination of a God preparing to burst on the scene in a new way. So as we are preparing, and as God is preparing to blow our mind by doing a new thing, with this, this pending birth of the Son of Man. So what are we supposed to do in the meantime? Between the fulfillment of God's promise and the living out in the anticipation of what is to be. So today I'll share three points and as far as what I think we should be doing. Just like Drew mentioned last week in his, um, his personal testimony about wanting a date, uh, I'm just going to give three points, and then those three points I'll just have my seat after that. So my first point is, is that what I'm going to offer is that always be prepared. So look at the text. Verse 36 through 37 states, No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father knows. 
as in was the day of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. So what the text is telling me is that God is all-knowing and has all power. God is acutely aware of all things, especially the issues that burden and the concerns that affect the lives of God's people. God hears the cries of liberation from his people. And in the 4th and 6th century B.C., modern scholars believe that that's when Jesus was born, based on the reign of King Herod and historical data. God was ready to show up in their situation. Anyhow, the backdrop of the state of affairs during that time, this event, says back in the days leading up to Jesus, and surely many of us, you know, it's like, like today's time, that what we're experiencing. It was a politically tumultuous time. King Herod was the leader of Judea. He had successfully won, you know, his seat in an attempt to please Russia. I mean, in an attempt to please the Roman Empire uh, with his Make Rome Great Again campaign. The people of Jerusalem were living under Roman oppression, and King Herod was the people of Israel's appointed leader. He was a corrupt leader with an administration that was so deeply concerned about their own wealth and security that they were willing to throw everything and everyone under the bus to protect themselves, even when it meant making deals with shady foreign governments who hacked your elections. And yes, in case of you're wondering, I am talking about King Herod. Um, but it wasn't just the failure of leadership. It was the economic strain where folk who had been taking on certain kinds of good debt found themselves underwater and stretched, overstretched, barely able to stay afloat, much less being able to build a life. People were so overwhelmed and overcome with it all. Despair had come a way of life. Now, people had been talking about this rapture. Uh, the faithful, of course, had been anxiously awaiting this intimate uh, return of this boy king for decades. It had been talked about throughout the years with the hopes of being caught up in the rapture. Now, I'm confident that folk had a bumper sticker made, something in effect that says, hey, when the rapture comes, this car will be without a driver. And I'm sure the corresponding bumper sticker would say, when the rapture comes, can I have your car? A little Jerusalem humor for you, ha huh? <laughs> Anyway, so needless to say, the people of God were desperate or in desperate times and have been crying out for relief from this pressure. The people needed something that only a God can do. It was a time of writing of the Gospels in Matthews that it was in such of a time as this, under such difficult circumstances, and these were the God of mystery and wonder had cooked up a plan that would completely disrupt the order of the day. God would come and take his people away, just as he did in Noah. So what that is to say on this first day of Advent, that in spite of all the mess that these folk back in the day and what we go through today, God offers hope. An impossible claim to make, and yet it is the only one that makes sense when nothing else seems possible. The best thing I know to do is that when you get down is to lift up more prayers. Prayer works. And I have seen the power of prayer move mountains, not only in the lives of others, but also in my own. 
Now, storms in life are guaranteed, but prayer helps you weather those storms. When you can't seem to pick yourself up, get yourself down on your knees and pray to the one that not only hears prayers, but also in due time will answer. So in due time, God will lift you up, and in due time, God will respond. But build your hopes on things eternal, because in times like these, God is calling us to go deeper in our prayer life so that you can stand and withstand the storms. My second point is be hopeful. And that means have an active pessimism combined with an active hope. So what does hope look like in times of despair? Well, a passage for today shows us exactly how hope looks. Hope is that in the Christian context, looks like, you know, we're not just sitting around and praying for change, but praying for things to get better, but in fact, going out and doing the work toward the kind of world that God is seeing and trying to bring forth. This means less about when and more about faithfully putting one foot in front of the other, even in the midst of circumstances and seasons when it's easier to just give up and throw in the towel. And it can be frustrating, maybe even offensive to see and to feel like all that you put your work and time in and your faith and you still feel unsure about this place in, world, in the world and in God's work, whether or not what you're doing even makes a difference or frankly, even if it's even worth it. And I suppose that if there's any solace to be had, it is that even those that are closest to God, the angels, weren't quite sure that what God had up his or her sleeve. Now look back at verse 36, and it speaks about the angels not even having a clue. Our passage tells us that even the angels had no idea what God was up to. And now that, to me, feels particularly offensive because presumably they're up there hanging out, kicking it with God, and then like all the time, though, right? And then, so how is he going to, like, not tell them what's up? Like, really? So, um, and if the angels can keep the faith in the process of not knowing, so can we. It is having faith in something that you have hope for, but remaining confident in not yet being realized. I'm sure that the angels wondered, even felt some rumbling that God is up to something, but what could it be? They saw the condition that the world was in. They saw the everyday cruelties, the procedural violence, mass civilization, census taking, taxes, voter suppression. They saw the small humilities that wounded people were inflicted with upon each another, each other every day. Surely they had their own feelings of despair about how everything was going. But even so, they remained ready. And since they remained ready, so should we. In verse 41 and 42, it speaks about people doing the work, but remaining ready to see God move. So it was an example of people remaining steady and still doing the work. Uh, here at UVC, our decision uh, was to add a new ministry dealing with the homelessness population here on the south side of Chicago. In our partnership with University Church, the Night Ministry, and the Chicago Bridge Project, it was a big project. It was a daunting one also. One with a lot of moving pieces, but all with the same goal of providing hope to a population who experienced hopelessness every day. We didn't know if we could pull off this venture successfully, 
for it was the first time that we took this task to feed over 150 people. Needless to say, we were hopelessly pessimistic that we would be able to pull this venture off. But we kept doing the work, trusting that God would only bless our efforts, but also he would be in the midst of our work. And on this day, only one week after we fed over 130 men, women, and children uh, on 70th and Jeffrey, this fantastic Brazilian black bean soup, uh, God was with us. So my charge to you is to maintain an active pessimism, but only combine that with an active hope, an expected hope, a hope that if we commit to you know, uh, hope and stay prayerful, God will bring about change. God will show up in our human condition. He should always remain, and we should always remain ready for God to show up. Because when God shows up, God always shows out in amazing ways. So we as humans are by nature pessimistic. We can't help it because we have our doubts. We always wonder if God will show up. And one way to reduce our pessimism and I reduce our uh, doubts is by staying true and remain in beloved community. Dr. Martin Luther King coined the phrase beloved community uh, during his Poor People's Campaign. Uh, and here at UBC is where we seek to come and practice our communal hope. So in communal hope, the church serves as a community of like-minded believers that seek justice for all and responsibility to a world in desperate need of a moral compass. We can only accomplish this task by answering the call to partner with Christ with the intent on creating a community that speaks to the collective good of humanity for all and not just a few. And so my third point is be alert and be waiting on Christ. Look at the scripture again. Verse 36 says, but no one knows when the day or the hour will come, nor will the heavenly angels, nor the son. Only the father knows. The father is the knowing, all knowing. Or not knowing, actually, is mentioned four additional times in this passage. Verse 39, they didn't know what was happening. Verse 42, you do not know what the day the Lord is coming. And verse 43, if the owner of, uh, only if the owner had known, and then verse 44, at an unexpected hour. So what this is telling me is that in, that is in all of our pontification, all of our paralysis of analysis, all of our dissecting data, reading the tea leaves, are trying to predict the coming of the Messiah is just as assured as of a guarantee that you're going to receive that money that you've been counting on based on your hand itching uh, or the weather's going to change based on the feeling you get in that trick knee every time when it gets cold. So we don't know. No one knows. Not even the angels who are chilling out with the Lord on a daily basis. You would think that his posse would be the first ones to know what God was getting ready to make up and make some big moves. But that is what God does. God moves in mysterious ways because God is sovereign. That means God can do what God wants to do when God wants to do and however God chooses to do. Even when you look at the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and the prayer, it states, 
thou kingdom come, thou will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So like the scripture tells us in verse 42 and 43, is to be alert, be aware, and wait on the Lord. But I caution you, don't fall asleep during the waiting. Don't lose hope and don't be lulled into a space of non-movement or nothing is going to change because of routine of the same old, same old. Remember, change is inevitable and God is the author of change. God can change things in the blink of an eye. And so be ready because you don't know uh, when that time will be. So get ready. So you don't, and always be ready, so you don't have to get ready. And so, and my last point is wait on the Lord and be of good courage. God will strengthen your heart and wait, I say, on the Lord. In closing, do you see what the angels see? I just want to remind you that life is not unlike this mystery thriller that I spoke of earlier. During the season of Advent, keep anticipating the promise of God. Emmanuel, God is with us. Even in the times of the hope and fulfillment of the promise, in the midst of the waiting on God, keep the active pessimism, not yet sure that the promise will be filled, maybe not feel kind of good in sort of way, but a hope that motivates you to continue to do the work. Not only with the anticipation that our work may make a difference, but from the understanding that the one whose love and purpose bought for creation, the one who knows all, who sees all, and is more generous than we could ever be on our own, the one who will do something with our action. This is the sort of waiting with expectation, a waiting similar to the angels. And if we don't know what exactly God is up to, God is always up to something. That something was a savior, the king of kings, the great I am, the one who took the world by surprise, the one who said, ready or not, I'm here. And I don't know about you, but I don't know about you, but I am excited about that news. That's good news. So as we begin our Advent journey, join the angels in an unexpected wonder, an Advent scavenger hunt of sorts. Let us be on the lookout for signs of Emmanuel. God's present with us during this week and the weeks to come. Where is hope? Where is peace? Where is love? And where is joy? I invite you to take a heavenly perspective and see what the angels see. Even if you see the pain of the world, through that pain, you may also get a glimpse of the Almighty. And that's that peace. Let's pray. Oh, holy and most merciful Father, thank you for the opportunity to speak a word from thus said the Lord. Now as the word becomes flesh, let us not only be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Do a new thing in us, Lord, and let us go forth from this space proclaiming the good news of a risen Savior. We thank you for giving us a blessing, and we also thank you for getting all the glory in the process for you're worthy of it all. We ask this prayer in your precious son's name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.